0: Uh, I want to welcome those of you who are listening to uh, our podcast. Uh, We're in the last week of a series that we've been calling Time for a Change. And we've been reminding ourselves that this thing that we call the gospel is explosive, that it is otherworldly, it's a power. And it can and it does bring radical and substantive change into the lives of people. And what we want to do in this series is we want to learn to change the gospel way. Uh, We're not interested in self-help here. We're not interested in uh, Deepak Chopra's uh, ideas. We're not studying what Tony Robbins has to say about change. We love Oprah. I always say that first. We love Oprah, but we're not seeking Oprah's ideas about change either. What we want to know here is how to change the gospel way. And we just watched a video that reminds us that the gospel is so powerful that it does what no self-help guru or no motivational speaker can possibly do. It changes your identity. Like at the very core of your being, it fundamentally changes your idea and because of your identity, and because of that, there is nothing that the gospel can't do in your life. I want you to turn back with me now to the passage that we've been looking at for the last five weeks. We'll look at it for the last time today. It's Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll look at verses 22 to 24. If you have your Bible with you this morning, turn with me there. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 is where we'll start reading. You remember that the Apostle Paul is writing this. To people who have already responded to the gospel, they've already experienced this change of identity, and he challenges them now to, you know, the old word is to reckon this change of identity uh, real in their lives. Another word that people might use today is actualize it. You know, take what's been done internally and actualize it into your daily experience. Let's start reading at chapter 4, verse 22. The Apostle Paul is writing and he says, um, he says, you were taught. With regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Verse 23, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, which is created to be like God in true righteousness, and holiness. Now, one more time, because I think that review is very good. Just want to show you the gospel method of change. That it is it goes like this there's two steps, and then there's a bridge. The first step is to put off the old self. By that, he's talking about the old, deeply ingrained ways of thinking and living that you used to live with before you responded to the gospel. And then he says, put on the new self. That's the new identity that we just reminded ourselves of in that video, that new identity that you've been given that frees you from bondage to the, remember we talked about this a few weeks ago, how we all tend to turn good things into ultimate things. Your problem is not that you desire bad things. Your problem, my problem, all of us, our problem is that we desire good things, but we tend to turn them into ultimate things. That's our problem, okay? And he says, he says, understand this new identity. Put that new identity on. Okay, and then there's a bridge. And this is what I want to talk about today, last part of the series. We talked about all of these before, except this one. The bridge between putting off the old self and putting on the new self is this thing that I want to talk about, about today. And without it, you cannot um, actualize or reckon this internal change that's happened into your daily experience. You can't, because you must... This is what you got to have. You can't put off and put on without this. You must be made new, verse 23, be made new in the attitude of your minds. Now, those of you who pay close attention to grammar and to detail, you may have noticed that the thing that's, that's different about this verse, this, this line, be made new in the attitude of your minds, so the thing that's different is that Paul changes the voice here from the other two uh, verses that surround it. Did you notice that? He goes from an active voice when he says, put on and put off, okay? That, those are active, that's the active voice. He changes from the active voice into the passive voice when he says, be made new. Did you notice that? So he says, put off, put on, but in the middle, the bridge, he says, be made new. Now that's, that's not an active voice, that's passive. And this is intentional because this is something that God has to do. It is a supernatural. And yet what's odd about it is that it can't be completely passive, or it wouldn't be commanded. Because notice, Paul says it, he states it as a command, be made new. And yet he says it in the passive voice. So it's something that God has to do, and yet you have to be made new. Now how can that be? How can it be on the one hand passive, and yet something that he commands you to do? And the answer to that is that you have to live in, and I'm going to use this little expression, you have to live your life in holy availability. Now, let me just give you an example of what I mean by holy avail- availability. And let me just, this is a negative example, but I think you'll get it. I, uh, I'm not a big vegetable eater. Um, I think I ate my last vegetable sometime in the late 1970s. I'm not sure about that, but I think that's about right. And I particularly don't like spinach. In fact, I would go so far as to say that spinach is gross. My mom, when I was a kid, used to drop. Spinach on my plate in a big green wad that looked like something that came out of the garbage disposal. It was like something that you had to get out that was stopping the garbage disposal up. And I hated it. I mean, I hated it. And I used to gripe about it all the time. And every time I'd start griping about it, she'd say, one of those things that only moms can say uh, with a straight face, she would say, she... I'd just be going, man, this looks nasty. I don't want to eat this. And she'd say, you better shut your mouth and eat your spinach. Sorry, Mom, don't think that's possible. And I would start to gag. (laughs) And then she'd say, don't you dare throw up, young man. And like if I had any control, over this wasn't my idea anyway, Mom. I don't, I just don't. Now here's the thing: if i'm going to be made new in the attitude of my mind about spinach, first, this is going to have to be a miracle. <laughs> but it's not going to happen unless I eat it and, and that's what I mean by by availability. I have to actually I have to sit down and I have to put the fork into it, and bring it to my mouth. Now, that's never going to happen. i just tell you right now, and don't, send, don't be sending my wife any recipes with spinach in it thinking that that will cause me to like it, because it's never going to happen. I'm not going to like spinach. Just get the point of the illustration here. And that is that even though God has to renew your mind, you have to make yourself available for him to change it. Do you understand that? You get that? Nod your head if you, if you get it. If you understand what I'm saying, nod your head. Okay. So, so, so there's the sense in which it's, it's passive, God has to do it, but there's the sense in which you have to make yourself available. And so there is this synergistic thing happening where you're making yourself available, and when you make yourself avail- available, God goes about the process of changing your mind. You see, before you responded to the gospel, you had put God completely out of your mind because you didn't want him to run your life. That was not something that you were interested in. And even though now you have responded to the gospel, the attitude of your mind is still used to running your life without God. And it's so deeply ingrained in your mindset that you're gonna run your life without God that it has to be, your mind has to be progressively renewed as time goes by. Okay? And when Paul says, when he says, be made new. In the attitude of your minds, I want you to understand that when he uses this word mind, he's referring to two specific areas of your mind that the gospel wants to renew. The first is your thoughts. The gospel wants to renew your thoughts. And the second is, uh, and this may surprise some of you, your feelings. The gospel wants to renew your feelings. Now I want to talk about each of those in the next few moments because both of those, your thoughts and your feelings, have to be renewed. This is what's in view when Paul uses the word mind. But so that you can be intentional about the renewal of your mind, I want to talk about, first, what I want to do is I want to to take the category of thoughts. I want to take that and I want to break that down. What's involved in a thought? I want to break that down and I want to show you how the gospel wants to renew your Thoughts. Let me start there, and then we'll talk about feelings in a few moments, okay? So we're talking about thoughts. Um, first, there, there are three specific aspects about thoughts that need to be renewed. And the first one is your ideas. Understand that your ideas, and by ideas, I mean your assumptions about reality. These have to be renewed, Okay. Now we've talked about this before in this series. I, I mentioned that we all have certain assumptions or certain ideas about reality that govern the way that we think and the way that we go about living our lives. Your ideas about reality have been with you so long and they're so pervasive. The problem is you don't even know they're there. You don't even know the role they play in governing your life and in governing your, your behavior because they're so uh, associated in your mind with reality. If someone were to say to you uh, something about a particular idea that you have, you would say, well, yeah, duh, that's how life works. That's how uh, permeated you are with the ideas that govern your life. And they are very, very potent. Let me give you an example. How many of you have ever heard of the idea of, and you can raise your hand on this, it'll be okay. How many of you have ever heard the idea of uh, the American dream? Raise your hand. Okay, look around the room how many people's hands are raised. Go ahead, raise your hands. Keep them up there for just a minute. It won't hurt you. You could even do this during singing sometime if you want. <laughs> you could even go like that sometime if you want, you know? Uh, if you look around, everybody's heard of the American Dream. It's a very powerful idea that most of us have. And in fact, it is so powerful that that particular idea drives our economy. Have you ever thought about that? It's an idea. That's how powerful it is. Cars, houses, all of that drives our economy. In fact, it is so powerful that it made America vulnerable to the subprime mortgage crisis in 2008 that led to uh, near economic collapse in our nation. That's how powerful that idea is. Okay? Ideas are powerful. Um, rugged individualism. You ever heard of that idea? That's a powerful idea about freedom? That's an idea. Human rights. Democracy. All of those are ideas. How about masculinity? Do you have certain ideas about masculinity? I'll bet you do. How about femininity? Do you have certain ideas about femininity? How about power? Success? Failure? See, All of those ideas. Some of them are better than others, but here's the thing. Even as I mention them, you can't pick out which are the bad ideas because they're such a part of your life, and and it's such a part of how you define reality, your ideas. To be intentional about renewing your mind and to be available to the Lord so that he can do his work in renewing your mind, you have to learn how to identify the idea systems that govern uh, the old self. In you. And I want you to listen now, and, and I'm, th- this is going to blow your mind what I'm about to say. The primary strongholds of evil in the old self and in our culture at large are the idea systems by which we live. Did you, do you realize that? Let me say it again. The primary strongholds of evil in the old self and in the culture at large are the idea systems by which we live. Ephesians chapter 6, uh, verse 12. i put, put that up here on the screen if you would. It says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The reason that so many passages of Scripture speak to the importance of being renewed in your mind, this is not the only passage that speaks about that. There are many. The reason that they speak to this issue is because evil seeks to control and blind us to the idea systems that run our lives. Now this, by the way, is why you will notice if you look around either side of the room, there are four manners on either side of the room. The first one says believe. We want you to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay. The second one is experience community. We think that real life transformation happens in the context of small groups and happens in the context of relationships. We want you to experience community. But you'll see the third one. It says "Unlearn." Unlearn, and the reason that we have the word unlearned there is because you have. This is one of the things that you have to do. You have to unlearn. You have to identify and unlearn the false idea systems that are governing your lives. Now, look. If you think that this is this idea uh, or this this concept that you must identify these idea systems that govern your lives. If you think that that is an overstatement of the importance of ideas, understand this, that Christians uh, are persecuted and killed all over the world because they threaten the idea systems of the countries that they're in. Which really shouldn't surprise us, if you think about it, because Jesus himself was crucified precisely because he confronted and undermined an idea system about God with the Jews, and he undermined an idea system about power with the Romans. And they crucified him for it. Do you get that? Idea systems are powerful, and the enemy, our enemy, is ruthless in his attempt to control idea systems, the idea systems by which we live. Which is why renewal has to be, in part, a supernatural work of God. They're so powerful. The ideas that that we hold are so powerful and so pervasive that we can't even identify them on our own. We need the supernatural work of God to identify them. So when it comes to this issue of renewing your minds, we're talking about thoughts right now. What has to change in your thoughts? One is the idea systems that run your life. Here's the second thing, the second part of thoughts that has to change. second aspect of your thoughts that has to change. And that is the images that occupy your mind. So we talked about ideas closely related to ideas or the images that occupy your mind. Now, l- l- listen to this. Images are very important because they mediate the power of idea systems into the real situations of our ordinary lives. And I want to I give you some examples of images. Uh, and I want you to see if you can understand the ideas that go with these images. For instance, what does this particular woman portray? What do you think she's trying to portray? Some of the the younger guys here are like, dude, this is awesome. I didn't know church did this kind of stuff. What do you think she's trying to portray? Anybody want to take a shot? How about sexy? Maybe. Would you say that? Okay. Sexy is an idea. Do you realize that? Sexy is an idea. But here's an image that goes with sexy. How many of you think this next guy is headed to a Bible study? See, see I, I'll bet you for some of you you, you, you probably thought thug. Maybe because of the hoodie. Maybe because of the cap. You see, those are, this is an image that conveys an idea. Uh, which of these best represents God's attitude toward you? This first slide. Go ahead and put that up. Not That one. That one. How many of you think that this is God's attitude toward you? Or this next one? How many of you would say this next one is God's attitude toward you? How many of you see God like that when he thinks of you? Okay, now we're going to fight on this one. Here we go. Which of these images says church to you? That one? Or the next one? You want to fight? Churches fight over that image. You understand that? Because they convey, they mediate the power of an idea system. Okay? Images are incredibly powerful. Um, they have deep significance. Because what they do is that they control how we take things, how we interpret things, the meanings that we assign to things. Part of your responsibility in renewing your mind is learning to identify and replace the images that you have in your, your mind and replace them with the images that filled the mind of Jesus. By the way, I want you to understand something. Jesus understood very well the power of an image, which is why he intentionally chose this image for Christianity. Once a symbol of Rome's absolute power and once a symbol of death, Jesus took that image and he turned it into a symbol, an image of humility and hope. And I want to tell you, it's such a powerful symbol that long after the demise of the Roman Empire, the cross is still at the center of contemporary world culture. That's how powerful that image is. So one of the things that you and I have to do is that we have to, we have to, under, we have to ask ourselves, what are the, not only what are the ideas... That permeate my mind and my life, and that govern how I approach life. But also, what are the images that I have associated with it? So let me give give you another example: Um, success. Maybe that's an idea that you have about what makes life worth living. What are the images that you associate with success? Particular car, particular house, particular clothing, particular wife, particular spouse. What are the images that you have associated with success? And we could go on where there are so many ideas that you have and the images that you associate with those. What if you learned that Jesus turned all of those ideas upside down? Because he often does that. He often takes all of the ideas of the world. And when you read the Gospels, he just, it's like he just flips them upside down. What is greatness? That's an idea. What's greatness? What are the images that you associate with greatness? Power, maybe having a a group of uh, a posse that is with you all the time, showing up in limos. I don't know what the images of greatness are for you, but Jesus takes the images, the worldly images of greatness, and he turns it upside down, and he says, you know what's great? A servant. That's what's great. See how he flips it upside down? And so it's incumbent upon us, if we're going to be intentional about renewing our minds, we have to identify not only the ideas, but the images. That govern our, our, our minds, our, uh, our thought process, our approach to life, and our behavior. Now, what do you, how do you do that? How do you identify the images and ideas, and what do you replace them with? Well, here's the third thing. Third thing. The third thing that has to change about your thoughts, and then we'll move to feelings next. But the third thing that has to change about your thoughts is the information that you take in. Ideas, images, and then third, information. You need... Every one of us does. I need it. All of us. We need new information about life and its meaning. What makes life meaningful. Who's the subject of life? Who's the object of life? Who's the center of the universe? We need new information about this. Listen to this. The Apostle Paul is speaking to this issue of information. when He says in Romans chapter 10, uh, verse 14, he says, How shall they believe in, whom, uh, uh, in him of whom they have not heard? He's talking about they need information. God speaks through Hosea the prophet. He says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. He's talking about information here. And you need to understand that the tragic condition of Western culture today is that we've put away the information about God that God himself has made available. uh, Right here in the scriptures. He's He's made this information available to us. And The lack of information, the lack of using this information about God that he's made available to us, leads to the destruction of souls. It leads to the destruction of society, and it leaves people to eternal ruin. Under a first priority, when when you come to this issue of renewing your mind, you have to begin to take, uh, take in correct information, truthful information about life and the God who created it. If you hope to experience radical and substantive change, one of my favorite authors, the late Dallas Willard, he just died this past year, wrote a phenomenal book. I would highly recommend it to you sometime. It's called The Renovation of the Heart. He's written a number of phenomenal books, but this is one of them. And he says this, The gospel of Jesus repudiates all false information about God and therewith about the meaning of human life. And it works to undermine the power of those ideas and images that structure life away from God. And then he goes on and he says this. Listen to this, folks. The prospering of God's cause on earth depends on his people thinking well. I find this to be one of the hardest things uh, working in contemporary church today is uh, many people have adopted Um, an anti-intellectual view of Christianity. And that anti-intellectual view of Christianity has left many people vulnerable to false doctrine and heresy. I want to tell you something. Don't just believe. Think about what you believe. Think about the implications of what you believe for your life. Know why you believe it, know what you believe, and know why you believe it. There is no shortcut, to grow. there is no intellectual shortcut to growing spiritually and experiencing deep and radical change. There is no intellectual shortcut. If you don't learn what the Scriptures have to say, you will not experience the deep and radical change that you want to experience in your life. You need new information. And that's what the Bible's for, is to challenge the ideas and the images that govern your life. And if you're not regularly taking it in, uh, you won't change. You can't root out false ideas and images on your own because there's so much a part of you you don't even know what, the, what they are. You don't even know where to look. God has to be a part of that. And the supernatural aspect of that is that he speaks through this a book that's very unique and alive called the Bible. Okay, there's much more, way more, I would like to say about that, but I don't have time, so we're going to move on to the other area of your mind that needs to be renewed besides your thoughts. We've talked about your thoughts, ideas, Images and information, all of that has to be changed. Here's the last one, and then we'll we'll close. Um, Your feelings, okay? Your feelings have to change. Now, I would imagine that to some of you it comes as an enormous surprise to suggest that your feelings need to be renewed. Because we live in a culture that because of some of the ideas of the 18th and 19th centuries uh, called Romanticism, our culture idolizes feelings. And I want to tell you that there's nothing wrong at all with appreciating feelings. God created us with feelings. But we have to understand that even our emotions uh, are fallen. And if we idolize our emotions, they will always lead to personal and relational and societal destruction. And for change to happen in your life, for deep, radical, substantive change to happen in your life, you have to be intentional not only about changing your thoughts, but also about changing your feelings. And as I said, I realize that's a new thought to many of you. Uh, Some of you are probably familiar with this phrase. I've heard it a million times. Maybe you've heard this. The heart wants what the heart wants. Have you ever heard that expression? Yeah. Okay. I want to tell you something. I have heard uh, countless men and women tell me that or some variation of that to rationalize all sorts of behaviors like affairs and, and, and other kinds of things and a whole host of other destructive actions when they use that phrase. The heart wants what the heart wants. It wasn't my fault that I fell in love with him. It wasn't my fault that I fell in love with her. The heart wants what the heart wants. Well, here's the thing. I want you to understand. It is true that we can't control all of our feelings. That's very true. But it is not true that our feelings can't be controlled at all. And it's certainly not true that everything we feel has to be indulged. See, people who are mastered by their feelings are people who in their heart of hearts are convinced that their feelings have to be satisfied. But that's an idea that God flips upside down when you read the Scriptures. Feelings can be changed. And they can be replaced. They can be. But let me tell you two ways that you can't change feelings. Here's the first. You can't change your feelings by willpower. If you stop and you try to think real hard about not feeling whatever it is that you feel, that'll never work. Ask a person who's been through AA um, about how impotent willpower is against feelings. Just ask a person who's been in AA about that. They can tell you. Uh, You cannot take feelings straight on and try to change them. That won't work. The second way you can't change and replace feelings is through denial and repression. And Let me tell you, that's what Buddhism is about. Buddhism says, well... Desire and, and, and uh, strong feelings and attachment is what causes so much of the suffering in the world. So what they try to do is get you to a place that you just eliminate feelings, that you just stop having uh, attachments to anything or anyone, strong attachments. Okay? That's not what the gospel says. That's one of the many ways that the gospel is different from Buddhism or, or, or maybe other world religions as well. If, if you don't change and replace feelings that way, how do you Change and replace feelings. And I'm going to tell you something. My first answer is probably going to surprise some of you. For some of you who have chronic negative emotions, for some of you, being intentional about changing and replacing your feelings. May start with medication. And you need to understand that there is nothing unbiblical or ungodly about that. Back in my mid 30s, uh, I began to realize that I was terribly depressed. And there were no circumstances that demanded my being depressed. And it got to a point that I could barely get out of my bed. And I began to realize that I really had struggled with depression all of my life. And it wasn't until this point, maybe all the responsibilities in my life and all, I, I don't know. But at some point, um, this depression became incapacitating for me. And... uh Uh, I was incapable of any positive emotion. I mean, all of my feelings, every one of them were sad. And they were all hopeless and they were all negative. And I had no reason for any of that. And no amount of Bible study and no amount of prayer could change that. And so for the last 18 years, I've taken medication to help me deal uh, with that depression. And somewhere along the line, I finally realized that the most godly thing I could do for myself, the most godly thing I could do for my family who had to live with me, uh, was to take medication. Let me tell you something. Some of you who have chronic negative emotions, you're not doing yourself or your family any good. Look, you, got, you have a responsibility to be uh, able to be lived with, right? I mean, like if you're miserable to be lived with, you've got to do something about that. And I see a lot of heads going like this right now. Um, I wasn't pleasant to live with, and I needed to do something about that. And I, I, hear, hear me, OK, hear me on this, because I know that, I know I'll get emails about this. I, I'm not suggesting that taking medication is a panacea for every sad or negative thought that you have. I'm not saying that medication is for everybody, not at all. I'm just saying that for those of you who it, for whom it's chronic, uh, you're not doing yourself, God, or anybody else any favors. And let me tell you why. Here's why. The gospel wants to replace the emotions that you have that have you know, some of them are genetic, but some of them have been shaped by the cynical, hopeless, pagan culture that we live in. Like, how many people, how many people just have, like, this chronic anger? I mean, like, you know, that's what road rage is. Uh, it's, it's just like this chronic anger that's built up inside your system. How many people live with chronic anxiety or depression or whatever? The gospel wants to replace all of that that's been shaped by this cynical, hopeless, pagan culture that we live in. And it wants to replace them with these three things and all of the emotions that are associated with them. Three things. Love, joy, and peace. That's what it wants to replace them with. Love, all, and, and the emotions that accompany love, joy, and peace. Those are the dominant emotions that characterize a life that's been deeply and radically changed. And that's not to say that there won't be other emotions. Of course there will. Of course there will be sorrow sometimes. Of course there will be anger sometimes. Jesus experienced both of those emotions. There will be other emotions that you experience. But those are to be the dominant emotions that people experience. If they've been transformed by the gospel over time. I'm not saying it happens day one. Don't feel guilty. I'm not try- Guilt is an emotion. I'm not, trying to t- I'm not talking about that. Don't feel guilty. Don't walk out of here going, oh, man, I don't feel love, joy, and peace. Well, I haven't done my job if you walk out like that. That's not what I want. I want you to walk out of here going, hey, hallelujah, God wants to move me toward love, joy, and peace. You don't have to say hallelujah. Don't say that because that's kind of churchy. But you could walk out of here and say, God wants to move me toward love, joy, and peace. Now, those are pretty awesome things. Okay? And for those of you, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make you understand. For those of you who have chronically negative emotions, I want you to understand... You can't experience love, joy, and peace if you're chronically depressed. I tried. I'm, I'm going to tell you something. I felt like a man during that period of time. I felt like a man who was drowning in an ocean of sadness and despair and couldn't get above water long enough to take a, a breath and feel love, joy, and peace. I was sinking. And some of you are too. And someone somewhere told you that, oh, you know, taking medication is unbiblical, it's ungodly, you're cheating. I... I can put an image up to explain what that piece of advice is, but I won't put that image up. <laughs> Understand, for some of you, it may mean medication. That's your first step. Here's the second thing that you can do to be intentional about changing your emotions. And whether you take medication or not, you need to do this. This is most important. Okay. The second thing that you can do is to meditate regularly on Scripture and use music alongside of it. Okay? You need new information. You need new ideas and images that will spark new emotions in your life. The Holy Spirit works primarily through the truth of this very unique and supernatural book. And I want to tell you, you will never be able to put off or put on until you allow the truths of this book to seep deeply into your emotional life. And slowly but surely, over time, it will change you. And it will even change your emotions as you interact with this new information about life. Let me tell you most of what you've learned about life. Most of what you've learned about life. Most of the ideas and the images that you have in your mind are not true. But right here, this will tell you what's true. If you want to experience radical and substantive change that comes through the gospel right here, you've got to be in here on a regular basis meditating on the truth of God's word. The more I could say. I'm going to close this series, but I listen. I hope you walk away from this series with a new appreciation for how deeply the gospel wants to change you. This thing, the gospel is powerful, and change in your life is possible. If you've responded to the gospel at some point in your life already, you have been changed internally. It is now time to reckon it, to actualize it, to make it real in your daily experience. If you've never responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let me tell you, today's the day. Don't wait one more minute. Don't wait one minute longer. God wants you now. He doesn't want you to wait until you've got your life cleaned up and then come to him. He wants you now. Don't live the way you're living Any longer, right now, deal with it. Deal with the cross of Jesus Christ. Come to the cross of Jesus Christ. Bring your life at the cross of Jesus Christ and say, yes, forgive me. Be my Savior. Be my Lord right now. I bring the junk of my life. I bring all the good deeds that I thought would uh, earn me favor before you, God. I bring all of that stuff to the cross. You be my Savior. I'm not going to be my Savior anymore. Do it now, deal with it now don't wait one don't wait one minute longer. Do it now, Bow your heads with me, and let 's pray, Lord Jesus Christ, we are overwhelmed uh, by the gospel, by the power of the gospel. We want to be changed, and Lord for those who have responded to the gospel at some point, I, I pray that uh, even today, even at this very moment, Lord, that you would be transforming them and, and changing them and cause, giving them a passion to be intentional about putting off the old self, putting on the new self, and being renewed in the mind. Lord, for those who have never responded to the gospel, I pray that right now at this very moment they would recognize that there is nothing that they can do to earn a relationship with you, that it all happens at the cross. Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins. Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. His bloodshed, his body broken for the sins of humanity. Lord, and I pray that people in this room who haven't yet responded to the gospel would do so today, this moment. And they would just bring their lives to you. And they would ask you to be their Lord and their Savior. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word. Speak to us powerfully through it. Change us through the power of the gospel. And it's in your name, Lord Jesus Christ.